Hey, welcome to Race to Academia, brought to you from the Race and Ethnicity Caucus of University of Toronto Graduate Students Union, where we talk to students and professors about race and race-related issues within academia and showcase the academic work and research of racialized graduate students. We will start with an interview and end with a two to three minute student highlight of the research they are conducting in their own words. I'm Joe. And I'm Melan. On this week's episode of Race to Academia, we interview Dr. Shauna Yee, who is an associate professor in the Women and Gender Studies Institute at the University of Toronto and of Historical and Cultural Studies at the University of Toronto Scarborough. Her research interests are transnational feminism, queer studies, China and global colonialism, and post-socialist studies. After our interview with Dr. Yee, Tom Dong will tell us about his research. Tom is a Master's of Education student in Adult Education and Community Development and has researched workplace learning and social change. Here's our interview with Dr. Yi. Thank you so much, Shauna, for being with us on Race to Academia. Hi. <laughs> Hi, Joe. Hi. <laughs> that, was, that was awkward on my part. <laughs> um, uh, so uh, I guess the first thing that we always like to ask our guests um, is that, you know, how have you been staying sane during the pandemic? Because, boy, we've been in it for a full year now. Yeah. Um, wow. I, 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 I mean, I'm not sure if I am staying sane. Like if I'm insane, I, I wouldn't be able to uh, recognize it. But I guess, um, I guess I'm doing all right. Um, so um, I try to create some uh, structure around my working days. Stick to a routine has been really helpful. Um, I try to space out my work uh, with lots of activity, lots of uh, uh, outdoor running, yoga, that kind of stuff. Um, that's helpful. And um, besides that, um, I, uh, I pick up a new hobby. Uh, I started learning uh, kite surfing this year. <laughs> I oh, wow. Kite surfing. <laughs> yeah, something crazy, but something fun. And, and this is my way of staying sane, I guess. Wait, so that's like, awesome. Like, like kite surfing, like we're on the like the lake and doing kite surfing like that. Yeah, yeah, on the lake. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, but, but it's still pretty cold now. That's what I was gonna ask. Like, do you have yeah. a full wetsuit? Well, not yet, because I'm 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 doing the uh, the land training part because uh, is is still quite um, quite cold. I think the the water part gonna start around May probably. That's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's just like you know some new challenge for myself. <laughs> Oh, Definitely. I love it. I am super jealous. I'm quite impressed, actually. <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not as difficult as I thought. So I think, it, yeah, I, you know, feel, feel free to give it a try. Maybe you found your new passion. Awesome. Absolutely. Yeah, quit doing the podcast, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Do the podcast or, or, while we're doing it. Yeah, yeah, there we go. New challenge. Can you, yeah, be, challenge. Can you have a full conversation while kite surfing? Yeah, exactly. I guess like picking up a new hobby is it, it has been really helpful. I've been, you know, trying doing different things, just like explore my my interests, my hobby, uh, like beside academia, which which is always nice just to learn something new, you know, to keep uh, yourself open to sure. new ideas and, and, you know, like new things. Definitely. Um, yeah. yeah, thank you for sharing that. And I guess before we get into it, and on a bit of a uh, harder note, um, we were wondering how you've been coping regarding the recent incidents of anti-Asian racism that we've seen in the U.S. and Canada, um, specifically mm -hmm. since the beginning of the pandemic, but more recently within the past few weeks. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really disheartening to see uh, what's going on. But um, at, at the same time, like lots of uh, uh, Asian American, Asian Canadian uh, uh, community, I'm not really surprised by the so-called incident because it's, it's not a uh, incident. It's not an incident uh, only happened during or after the pandemic. It has been an, uh, a systematic, uh, ongoing thing for a while. Uh, but it, it's just uh, the the violence against Asian hasn't been uh, brought up, uh, you know, as this incident uh, has you know shown. So for me, um, my way of dealing with uh, this, or I guess like my way of a morning, is uh, uh, to educate myself. So I spend more time, uh, you know, reading on uh, on the on the topic. And uh, I just educate myself about the histories of, uh, uh, you know, anti-Asian uh, racism in the United States and in Canada, and also trying to learn different organizations, different communities who, uh, you know, work together to fight against uh, anti-Asian uh, racism. Um, so I guess my way of showing, uh, you know, the morning is through kind of like silence or like more quiet self-reflection. Um, I uh, just recently read this book, uh, Minor Feelings, by uh, Cassie Park uh, Hong, and I think it's really helpful to uh, for me to think about uh, the you know the histories and um, how these histories of anti-Asian uh, racism has been uh, reflected uh, into our everyday life in so many different ways. So pretty much this is a, um, this is my way, and uh, beyond that, um, you know. I listen to lots of uh, uh, clubhouse uh, chattings and, you know, Zoom lectures and that kind of helped me uh, in a way, you know, to kind of, uh, you know, uh, sort of uh, grappling with these kind of uh, the sadness or these, uh, you know, the the, the morning visiting myself. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I think that's a really... Um, productive way, I guess, to deal with what's been happening. But I can definitely empathize with what you mean in terms of silent activism and self-reflection. Um, mm. I think I've been doing a lot of that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this connects really nicely with our next question, which is, mm-hmm. uh, what's your research on? And if you could sort of tell us about what you do in your work. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I, I'm an assistant professor of uh, uh, women's and gender studies at uh, UTSC. And just broadly speaking, uh, my work has been on transnational feminism, queer study, uh, post-socialist and post-colonial studies, and focusing on China, and also uh, theories and affect uh, uh, and trauma. Um, so uh, I, I look at the relationship between the emergence of a queer culture uh, in China, and also this global new forms of a, a, a global empire making. Um, and basically, uh, I look at how, uh, you know, the global LGBT politics, uh, how, how the, uh, you know, activism or discourse around LGBT, uh, LGBT rights could contribute to new forms of imperialism and uh, racialization uh, exemplified by the rise of China. So this is a, my three sentences of uh, introduction of my, my work, I guess. <laughs> yeah. No, that, that's incredibly interesting. Um, mm-hmm. we, took a, we took a read at some of your work, and something that really stood out to me was the story you told about Piggy Kitty, um, okay. who's a transgender queer woman. And you mm-hmm. mentioned about how their experience um, should be understood in, in terms of feminist political action. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was wondering if you could expand on what that means, because I thought that was really interesting. 
wow, that's a that's a that's an article I I, I wrote a long time ago. <laughs> and what? Probably, it has been uh, maybe like almost a decade. I guess. Yeah. Oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I mean, as as an academic, we <laughs> we publish really slowly. So uh, you know, you know, anything uh, you see in publications probably done uh, a long time ago. Um, so I guess like what I mean is. Uh, um, when you uh, uh, you know claim your identity, uh, especially in the ca- in the case of uh, 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 the uh, 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 the big kitty uh, as a trans like self uh, 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 identified trans person who uh, doesn't uh, choose to go through a, a gender re- uh, reassignment uh, surgery, and her uh, reclaiming of her uh, identity uh, through. Uh, her uh, she, so actually she does like lots of art and uh, she's very outspoken uh, in social media is a way to claim uh, a different different type of uh, act, uh, activism to me um, I think uh, instead of uh, uh, it, like when we think about activism is you know you go go on street and you do like protest and uh, demonstration uh, or lobbying but there are also other ways of uh, uh, activism through uh, arts through uh, academic uh, engagement or through different kinds of uh, creative method. These could be very, very helpful and very useful to think about what act- activism actually mean and what social change actually mean and uh, how you know different ways of addressing uh, social inequality and social justice through uh, performance and through arts or through you know different uh, creative methods. I think this is, uh, you know, I was trying to uh, tease out in the in the publication. Yeah, I think you definitely did a really good job at explaining that. Thank you. Um, and in terms of uh, transgender and queer politics and feminist politics more broadly, like, I know you focus your research on Chinese uh, context, but I was wondering if you if you've seen um, like what are the comparisons between the Chinese culture and quote Western culture in terms of LGBTQ politics. Mm-hmm. So um, for for myself, uh, one of my uh, major critiques of uh, uh, Chinese feminism or feminist uh, uh, politics is, uh, in a way, um, they tend to address to a Western audience to be uh, recognized by uh, by uh, by the 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 the. the, the the, the Western sort of uh, ways of doing things. For example, uh, people would uh, utilize this uh, this idea of uh, uh, you know uh, resistors to the uh, communist uh, oppression, and uh, you know people would utilize this image as uh, women as the most oppressed by the state to sort of gain uh, publicity or popularity. Um, for, for me, I think that is, you know, uh, the, these oppressions uh, definitely exist and these are something we're definitely, we should, uh, you know, resist and we should challenge. But but then at the same time, uh, we should be really cautious against this idea of uh, reinforcing uh, Western, uh, uh, you know, uh, colonial and uh, um, imperialist thinking by uh, uh, setting up these uh, binary between China and uh, you know the so-called uh, the oppressive China and the more uh, you know punitively more advanced West. Uh, West. 
So this is a kind of the binary I'm trying to uh, you know, really be, be cautious uh, against. I also um, think um, it is important to pay attention to the means of uh, uh, doing feminine, feminist critique or queer critique. Because uh, uh, according to my observation, the primary way of doing activism nowadays has been through social media through uh, uh, like popular culture. Uh, we see like lots of uh, uh, like, you know, increasing representations of the image of uh, uh, women, trans and queers on, on uh, you know, either social media or, or uh, just like mass media, uh, like, like uh, Netflix. And we need to be really cautious against this sort of a commodification of queerness and, and women. Um, and instead of, uh, you know, stop there, um, I think it's more important to, to think about these systematic uh, issues. Uh, you know, for example, uh, economic uh, inequality and uh, how these uh, uh, structures were, were, you know, our sort of, uh, uh, you know, replication of a con consumerism or consumer culture actually allow us to uh, uh, replicate and repeat these, uh, 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 these structures that cause uh, economic inequality. Uh, inequality and uh, dispossession at the first place. So that's pretty well, much my answer to your question. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. well, I, I guess one of the things that I was thinking about, and as you were talking about, especially uh, towards the end, was that, you know, uh, how activism has kind of gone the way of, of social media. And, you know, that mm -hmm. it's not necessarily thinking about the systemic issues or really fighting those, but it's, I almost wonder, have we gone too far into the direction of, you know, using social media where, you know, we, we post a black square, right? You know, last summer during, you know, the Black Lives Matter protests um, or, you know, now, you know, if, if you're, you know, you're going to post like a hashtag, um, you know, it, it's it almost cheapens the sense that we're not actually doing that work. And I think that one of the things that you were saying before was that you were, you know, thinking about your own journey and, you know, reading and trying to educate yourself to be able to inform other people in a way like such as today. Um, so do you think that social media and that activism from that context is maybe not pushing us forward enough? Mm -hmm. I, uh, Joe, I really like the word you use, uh, like, you know, that it's kind of like the cheap sort of way where it's kind of like a lip service in a way to me. Um, I, 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 I'm not against the social media, and I think these representations, this visibility of the marginalized, uh, uh, you know, group, uh, their voice has been uh, uh, made uh, visible to a larger uh, uh public. Uh, it, it, this is because of social media. I think social media is really important. But as what you just said uh, there, I think it's probably not enough. It kind of exonerate. Uh, uh, I mean, if, if, if we if, if social media is the primary way for us to, you know, gain rights, or to fight for uh, equality, I, I think that kind of exonerate us from um, you know, not be able to sort of uh, read more or educate ourselves because, as as Joe, you just pointed out, it is probably really easy to speak out to to uh, to you know send a couple pictures um, or to just like uh, you know follow or hashtag some uh, somebody, then uh, spend time to actually tease out the history to learn about other people. So um, I think we really need to uh, do 
or allow ourselves were were kind of like caught it with a, a, a culture that uh, promote and encourage us to do the so-called the hard work rather than you know always uh, you know pr uh, prioritize the, uh, the, the the most visible or the most uh, I guess like the the, the tension seeking uh, method. No, absolutely. Um, and I, I I really do think that it is it's the, it's like you said the hard work. And it's the extra reading, it's the extra conversations, right? Because I feel like, you know, the conversations that we have, you know, with the people around us are going to be uh, much more beneficial in pushing forward a cause than it is, you know, because you see a thousand pictures on Instagram, right? If you spend mm -hmm. an hour on there, you can just flip through and you can go through so many where you're not really going, people aren't going to, they'll see, you know, your picture, but they're not really going to think about maybe even read, you know, the actual captions underneath it. And you may have a really heartfelt and thought out um, post, but it's still, it's going to be the picture. Um, mm -hmm. So so one of the things that I, talking about the hard work, um, and in your bio, we read that uh, you wrote that you wanted uh, queering the academic institution, um, mm -hmm. and especially considering how heteronormative many institutions are, but especially within academia. What do you think that would look like? Um, how to queer the, uh, the, the academic, academic, the academic, academic. institution. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, I guess for, for me, one thing I often do in my own classes um, is um, I, I, I let students to explore their own interests and uh, I give them lots of opportunity to do um, community-based uh, uh, project, like final project or like group work together. And um, I think these creative ways of, uh, uh, of uh, uh, learning uh, actually provide opportunity for uh, the, the, the professors, the instructors, and the university uh, to be inspired by, by the students. Um, I think instead of uh, thinking we are the teacher who stands at the top of the pyramid and we are, you know, you know, teaching the knowledge and giving the knowledge to students, it is really important for us as, as, uh, as professors to allow students to actually educate us so maybe we are a little bit ahead of them in terms of uh, theories or, or whatever, but then their life experiences are actually really like lots of time. Um, they, I would say like they know a lot uh, about, you know, the world and how the real world work than me. So I, um, I think it's really important uh, to uh, give them space so they can actually inspire and uh, educate us. I think this is not a only like a queer or straight kind of a, a, a kind of a divide. Um, it, it's not about the university should be more accepting or open to students' op uh, opinion, but it's really the way to encourage students or encourage people who, who are not in power to um, show their world to um, see themselves as a person who can inspire, who can actually create, um, rather than just like, you know, challenge or, or, or disruptive. Um, I think that that might be, uh, that might be really useful to, to think about, uh, uh, you know, ways to uh, address lots of issues in the uh, neoliberal university, uh, especially at this moment. Thank you for saying that. I have to say, um, as a student, that's really refreshing to hear. Um, and moving forward, I guess we were wondering, um, how has your racial identity shaped your experience within academia uh, more broadly? Mm -hmm. And if you could identify your racial identity as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
So um, I'm a I'm a originally from China, and uh, I got my degree uh, in the States, and I moved to uh, uh, Toronto, Canada, um, uh, for, for uh, uh, because of this job. Um, so I think being a POC shaped my experiences uh, in academia in so many different ways. Uh, I I mean, lots of people probably already talk about this, you know, being tokenized and and. Uh, I, I got my degree uh, uh, in a very white uh, uh, like uh, Midwest uh, uh, universities uh, in, in the States. So I was the only, you know, the Chinese person always like speaking for about China and I'm the representative of China. Then when, when there's this, you know, some Chinese related issue, everybody look at me looking for uh, explanation. So, you know, kind of like being tokenized um, that kind of in, sort of uh, Lots of time it, it make me think, you know, I got the job or I got the degree. It is because of me or is it because of my identity. So there is this kind of, uh, uh, you know, fear of uh, uh, not being seen as myself um, or like kind of insecurity or this imposter syndrome of questioning my own, uh, uh, you know, scholarship and I'm not sure if, uh, you know, where my value actually uh, lies. Um, one, I, I guess the one thing really stands out for me is actually how, um, you know, you know, over these years, uh, speaking English as a uh, second language speaker, how that experiences actually in, impact how I view myself as a student and also um, as a as a scholar. Um, so I, I guess like. Like lots of ESL uh, speakers, the way like we uh, we phrase some sentence uh, in in so-called in and uh, in uh, an uh, an uh, authentic ways, or sometimes like a uh, you know the improper choice of words, uh, the tone, or or you know the speed of the speaking, our uh, body language, uh, it lots of time it come across as lack of confidence or uh, attempt to hide some uh, you know confidence. It could reinforce certain stereotype of Asian or about like Chinese people as uh, impolite, uh, in, uh, intrusive, or you know nerdy, or or kind of like culturally illiberal. You know, it, like for example, like some uh, some sometimes you know people would say things like uh, you know how are you doing. Uh, this might sound kind of more offensive or more sort of intrusive uh, rather than people ask, you know, uh, what are you up to? Just like smaller things like that. Or like lots of time when you enter a public um, space, when this could be in classroom or, you know, professional settings like conference or political organizations or, what, or whatever, or even just like at a grocery checkout line uh, when uh, uh, an ESL speaker, uh, when they open their mouth, uh, start to talk, they tend to slow down. So that kind of interrupt the normative flow of English conversation. And that could, uh, you know, uh, come across as, uh, you know, we are caught off guard, we're like absent minded. And um, I think these just these everyday trivial experiences really make me feel or like question my uh, my uh, authenticity in uh, North America. Um, because like now we're speaking in English and this is not my first language. You, in, so 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 the me I present to you is only part of me. Is the sort of like a English version of Shana, um, but but this is not how I would uh, you know act or or how you know my my friends or my family view me if I speak Chinese. So I think it the kind of cause lots of these. Uh, which one, which is the real me, which is was not. And then that 
translate into uh, my academic work, lots of time that make me question uh, my own self-value or you know, uh, the value of my scholarship. And um, in, in teaching, um, so I, I teach uh, 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 women and gender related courses and I teach feminist theory. But lots of the time I, I, uh, I found myself kind of in this dilemma uh, because I have an Asian face and uh, uh, I have a Chinese face and also being a sort of an immigrant. Lots of the time I don't, um, I kind of question my own so-called authority because like people look at me, they they probably uh, they were probably not expecting somebody who is a foreigner and who is uh, a Chinese to teach them, uh, uh, you know, feminist theory. Uh, usually, like when we think about these, uh, we kind of we tend to see the women and gender studies professors as either white, sort of like middle aged uh, white, or in a way kind of like a black. So this 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 in a way reflect this uh, black and white uh, binary when we think about racism uh, or, or uh, like uh, racialization uh, in North America. And um, the Asianness is kind of uh, always on the background and not being seen. Um, the, the double effect of that is uh, uh, we were erased again, uh, but also these kind of erasure where this is uh, like racial inferiority is being uh, uh, internalized, uh, reflecting into you know our teaching or our uh, research or our uh, activist engagement. So this is kind of a more like you know just a kind of a broad stroke of uh, my experiences. Well, thank you. That you dropped so much knowledge on us. I mean, and it's well, and I think that one of the things that I just really appreciate everything that you just said was that, you know, you said it was such candor and it was, you know, it was so much honesty behind it that, you know, the experiences, because when we think about our professors and we think about, you know, people who have, you know, gone to the top of academia, you know, you almost forget that some of these pieces can deeply impact, you know, everyone's life, right? Or like, you know, you said, um, you know, not being seen, um, you know, that that idea of like racial inferiority, or, and all of those pieces that they do play into, you know, who we are. And so I, I just I really appreciate you being able to share that with us. The next question that I had um, is, uh, so what is because our main focus for this podcast is mm -hmm. to be able to um, have, you know, more difficult conversations and to be able to, you know, learn something from each other. Um, so what is your advice for people who want to have productive conversations about the intersectionality of queer issues and raci racialization? Mm -hmm. I, I really appreciate this, uh, uh, this question. Um, I think um, I, I, this is a really good question because I think uh, um, for lots of people who want to learn but then um uh, what when uh, that that kind of desire for learning translate into reality they actually don't know where to start for me i guess the first step the first step or the most uh, most important step is actually to learn how to actively listen you know probably do your own research and um uh, i i don't know i'm a nerd and um read more books take more classes and um, I, I know like taking more classes probably sounds not very ap appealing to lots of students but but because there is this kind of a, in general anti-intellectualism uh, uh, you know in, in popular culture um, I think it's really important to to actually educate ourselves 
um, when you are, uh, you know, in conversation with with people who you want to learn from, um, you know, observe first, shut yourself up, even you know, resist your tendency to to defend yourself or or to you know uh, uh, to express your uh, your opinions. Um, um, don't take up too much space, realizing uh, you know. Uh, other people are sharing this space with you and don't expect um, people who you're interested in or who you want to learn from, um, you know, explain everything for you. I think the first, the, 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 the one of the most important thing is really to educate yourself and really do the hard work like what we, uh, we, we kind of uh, uh, touched on earlier. And also be aware of the, you know, your own positionality. Even you see yourself as marginalized person, like you know, people of color. Uh, you still, um, you know, our relationship with uh, with the privileges are very different. You still occupy lots of a position of a of a, 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 a privilege, especially located in North America. So um, I guess uh, just really be you know, open-minded and uh, educated yourself and uh, uh, leave more space for other people. Shauna, thank you so much for everything that you've <laughs> shared with us today. And especially, and I, I really do have to say, especially the, the anti-intellectualism that has, uh, has, you know, permeated our culture, it seems like. Uh, thank you for speaking to that and speaking against it. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yeah. Yeah, thank you so much for for you know these really thought provoking questions, and this is really amazing jobs, like uh, amazing work for for you guys doing. Thank oh, you well, so thank much, you Shana. so much. Yeah. So before we get into discussing the incredible interview that we just had with Shana, I just want to take a second and acknowledge and apologize for the technical difficulties that we were experiencing with this episode. And the echo that you may have heard at the beginning of the episode, and I just wanted to assure you that Joe and I are working on fixing this, but because of those difficulties, I'll be leading us through the outro of this episode. So that was an incredible interview with Dr. Yi, and we're really, really grateful to have the opportunity to speak with her. Um, something that particularly stuck out with me is when she spoke about the erasure of Asianness and internalized racial inferiority, because as a woman with um, Asian descent, that's something that I can relate to. Um, and I really appreciated having the opportunity to hear from and speak with um, an Asian woman in academia in sort of a mentorship role because I find in my my faculty and in my university experience more generally I haven't really had that kind of exposure. I also really appreciated what Shauna was saying about um, the importance of resisting the tendency to, de to defend yourself and not take up too much space, realizing that others can take up space as well and not expecting people to explain everything for you and really pointing to the notion of self-learning and being aware of your own positionality and I think I can speak for both Joe and I when we say that that's, when I say that that's, you know, an incredibly important part of allyship and something that we're both trying to improve on and something that we hope to engage with in these podcast episodes. And now we'll hear our student highlight, Tom Dong. Hi, my name is Tom and I identify as a first generation Vietnamese graduate student. I am getting my MED in adult education and community development, and I just completed my second year and I'm waiting to graduate in spring. A lot of my studies focused on the different pedagogies of education, learning, and programming with a collaborative specialization in workplace learning and social change. My work with Hard House and Access and Inclusion Peer Programs allows me to hone my learning experience and practice different things I've learned within my program, particularly 
with access and inclusion peer programs, a lot of our programming is focused on addressing issues historically racialized and marginalized students face in post-secondary education. Some programming I helped coordinate and facilitate include engaging in research as a racialized undergraduate student, how identity impacts learning for Southeast Asian students, and Southeast Asian students confronting anti-Asian racism during COVID-19. Within this work, I rediscovered the power of representation and what that can do for different communities of people and students. I hope that we continue to see diversity not only in classrooms, but in other positions in academia as well. Thanks to both Shauna and Tom for their contributions to this episode, and we'll talk to you in two weeks with more exciting conversations. This podcast was brought to you by UTGSU's Race and Ethnicity Caucus Executive Team. The music was created by Christine Keon, and the artwork was created by Karen Fang and Kashana Danvers. And thank you to the rest of the executive team, Elaine Kagulata, Danica Chaharlangi, Miriam Kareem, and Sylvia Vong for all your support.
This podcast was brought to you by UTGSU's Race and Ethnicity Caucus Executive Team. The music was created by Christine Keon, and the artwork was created by Karen Fang and Kashana Danvers. And thank you to the rest of the executive team, Eileen Kagiwada, Danica Chaharlangi, Miriam Karim, and Sylvia Vong for all your support.